0: Today, we celebrate the baptism of the Lord, and it is with this feast that we close off the Easter season, the Christmas uh, season. And the baptism of the Lord traditionally has been thought to be a a moment in which, uh, for the first time in a public manner, very fundamental truths of the Christian religion were revealed to humankind. And so we have. A revelation of the Trinity, profound mystery of the Trinity being revealed to humanity in a public manner for the first time. And we have the identity of Christ, the incarnate Son of God, the beloved Son of God revealed to us. And we also have the sacrament of baptism revealed to us, the sacrament that makes us beloved sons and daughters of God. But... uh, There's another revelation that uh, is being given to us here, and that is the revelation of the cross. We have this scene that's characterized by a a great harmony between the Father and the Son, a, a great serenity, a great peace, a great light, if you will. But in the midst of this light, there is the darkness of the cross. That also is being revealed to us. And we know this by a few things. There's a few things that indicate this to us. Uh, But first off, we'll recall in the fourth gospel, immediately after the baptism of Christ, as mentioned, John the Baptist proclaims, Beholds the Lamb of God. So the Lamb, the sacrificial Lamb is brought to our attention in conjunction with the baptism And we also have uh, the voice of the Father from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Now, the second half of that phrase is an allusion to our first reading today from Isaiah, chapter 42, Uh, where we see the servant of the Lord with whom God is well pleased. And the servant in Isaiah is famously known as the suffering service And so we see that right from the beginning, from Christ's glorious inauguration, the, the darkness and the suffering of the cross is placed before us. And I'll continue to speak about this theme of the cross and the suffering of the cross, and more generally, human suffering, by drawing your attention to a text from our second in the uh, first epistle to John, which John says the following, he says, Jesus Christ, who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and blood. Now, this is a kind of a cryptic statement and it's helpful for us, we can draw out the meaning of the statement if we know the historical context within which this epistle was written. Towards the end of John's life, uh, we have it on on relatively reliable ancient testimony, that towards the end of John's life, he was in conflict with a number of false teachers, one of whom was a man by the name of Serinthus. Now, Serinthus taught uh, that that his false teaching consisted of positing a very radical distinction between Jesus, on the one hand, who was thought to be just a mere man, and then the Christ on the other hand, who is thought to be this divine celestial power that descended upon the man, Jesus, in the form of a dove, we read about here in the Gospel, in the form of a dove and this celestial Christ that enabled the man, Jesus, to perform great miracles and to preach powerfully and to uh, carry out his very glorious ministry. But this celestial Christ... This dove, as it were, flew away from Jesus just before he would go to the cross, just before he would suffer his passion. And so, what we have here is this: this uh, John who's combating Sorentius, and we see the earlier text John says, "Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus." Is the, is the Christ. Is the Christ. And this brings us back to our text, our main text from 1 John where Jesus, where John says, Jesus Christ, one unified personal subject who came not by water only but by water and blood. And so, in counter distinction to Serentis' teaching, the true gospel, is that God did not shy away from suffering. God did not fly away like a bird to its mountain for fear of suffering, but he became man and enabled himself to suffer. And he took up human suffering into himself. And he went to the cross out of love for us. Jesus Christ, who came not by water only, but by water and blood. Lingus's teaching it is an example of a broader religious movement in the first century that scholars today refer to as Gnosticism. Gnosticism was a, a, an oriental uh, religious movement that sought to deal with the problem of human suffering. Uh, but it did so in, a, in an erroneous fashion. For the Gnostics Human suffering was the greatest evil, and it was inherently bound up with the material world that was thought to be inherently evil. And the Gnostic's goal was to transcend the material worlds, and thereby escape the problem of human suffering. So, in contradistinction to this, this thought, John is teaching us, and the true gospel proclaims, and Christianity has has always taught that sin is, I'm sorry, suffering is not the greatest evil that human beings have to face and deal with in this world. The greatest evil is sin, and suffering is a result... Of human sin. Human suffering comes as a consequence of human sin. So the deeper, the more fundamental problem is human sin. But God in His mercy didn't leave us abandoned to sin, but He became one of us. He embraced us. He embraced our material world by becoming flesh. And He took open to Himself our suffering. And through suffering, through embracing our human suffering, He solved the problem of human sin. He saved us from our sin. He made atonement for our sin and opened a way up for us to return to the Father and to be His beloved sons and daughters once more. And so I leave you with uh, a a return reflection upon our scene from this, uh, from the gospel, whereby the dove comes down upon Christ, the Holy Spirit, in the form of a dove. Now, contra solenthes, we have to let the Bible interpret the Bible. And so, what is the true significance of this dove? We can return to the other major place in the Bible where a dove appears, and probably some of you are already thinking of this place. And I'm referring to the story of Noah, Noah's Ark, in the book of Genesis. And the dove is sent down to Noah as a sign of peace, that God has been reconciled to humanity, and there is now peace between God and God. And humanity, but the doubt comes only after the flood, only after the cataclysm, only after the catastrophe, only after the great ordeal and the suffering of the flood. And so that's what is being revealed to us at Christ's baptism: that there is a catastrophe to take place and that's the catastrophe of the cross. But it will be that suffering and that catastrophe that will bring us true peace with God. And so there's two pieces. There's the peace that the world offers us, the peace that's without suffering, that's afraid of suffering, that flees suffering. But then there's the peace that Jesus Christ gives to us and leaves us with. And that's the peace that comes through suffering, even because of suffering. And we as Christians do not need to fear suffering. We don't, of course, as 21st century Americans in state upstate New York, we, we're not subject to disease and, and currently, thank God, there's no major uh, war taking place on our soil. Our relatives are not getting shot before our very eyes. But we have suffering that we deal with. There's the there's death, an untimely death of a loved one. There's divorce. There's family tension. There is suffering hospitalization. We're dealing with old age, with disease, with sickness, with loneliness. But as Christians, our suffering doesn't need to be the greatest evil for us. That our suffering can become a means of redemption. We are members of the body of Christ. And Christ continues to suffer through his members. And thereby he continues to redeem the world through us. Our suffering can become meaningful, and it can become a means by which we grow closer to God, and we make atonement for our own sins, and we make atonement for the sins of others, and we participate in that great work of redemption whereby Christ has reconciled the world to God the Father and set it at peace with Him. And thereby, if we do that, if we embrace our suffering, We will show ourselves to be true disciples of the one who came, not just by water, but by water and blood.